0: Well, I'm glad to be here in this pulpit and in this sanctuary with you today. For these last seven years of my retirement, my wife Jeannie and I have worshipped here every Sunday. And uh, as we observe the, faith, the, the, uh, the families of the church, we recognize our son is generally in the pulpit. Our daughter is generally singing in the praise band, our daughter-in-law. Our one grandchild is usually with the middle school youth group, and our other grandchild here is usually with the children's department. So when they're all missing, I'm glad to have you fill in. I don't see any. I'm looking for more water molders. We actually have uh, four water molders here this morning, which is a help, but not from that family. Um, I wonder what would you think if I decided I was going to come and preach? Uh, this is my bombshell sermon. Here it comes. The title is "The Three Biggest Sinners in Los Gatos." their names and what they have done and a little tagline, come and receive the recognition you so richly deserve. (laughs) I will save that sermon for another day, fear not. I I have enjoyed getting to know you and calling you friends and getting to know something of your life. That doesn't mean you have easy lives, it means you have allowed others who you trust to see a little bit into your life, to recognize that life is not exactly a hot fudge Sunday every day, is it? Bill, the father of a teenager, receives a late night call. There's been an accident. Betty has served divorce papers. She looks at me and says, Paul, this wasn't supposed to happen. She cries and I cry. John was the rising corporate star. He walks into the annual work review expecting congratulations and a raise, but gets a pink slip and is escorted out the door. This wasn't supposed to happen. Kathy. Kathy. Kathy was a young mom in our church. On a balmy July evening, we were at a worship committee meeting, She was sitting across the table. Suddenly, she held her head and said, I have such a headache, I have to go home. By midnight, she had been admitted to the intensive care unit of one of San Francisco's premier hospitals. Her husband had been summoned home from a business trip in London, and her very survival from the brain aneurysm was now questionable. Once his plane arrived, I took him and his school-aged children to the hospital. We got off the elevator at the ICU and we found a somber lineup of ICU nurses waiting for us, plainly in tears. We entered the young mother's room. It looked like she was sleeping, but we quickly learned she was now brain dead. Her husband fainted to the floor, just out cold. After our prayers and saying our final goodbye, we filed out, and the charge nurse whispered to me on my way by her, this wasn't supposed to happen. My bet this morning is that there is some situation in your life or in that of someone who is close to you which is defined by disappointment or by suffering or upset or injustice, I'm going to bet there is something in your life which has the power to send you into a tailspin and to look toward plan B or plan C or worse. That's what this morning is about. God's word when you are faced with the unthinkable, when parts of your life happen that just weren't supposed to happen. God has a word of good news for you if I'm speaking to you." One of the great pulpits of the Presbyterian denomination on the East Coast is Shadyside Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. On that pulpit there is a brass plaque which is uh, screwed deeply into the wood of the pulpit so it cannot be removed, and it reminds any guest preacher and any home preacher simply the phrase sir we would see jesus and that's why we're here to see and hear from our lord that he may speak to us in our situation will you pray with me may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts Be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The Bible has a series of good uh, leaders for us, spiritual guides for us, in our search for meaning when life has all the problems and none of the answers presenting itself. When it happens that life wasn't supposed to happen, but it yet does, I think of Ruth in the Old Testament. I've asked one of our summer uh, ministry fellows, uh, Sam Ross, to come up now with me, and he is going to read from the book of Ruth, chapter 1. And as he does, I'm going to interrupt him along the way, because as he describes what happened to Ruth, we will begin to see someone who had a life which had uh, the level of discouragement, desperation, and disappointment that may touch some of us right now.
1: Sam. Thank you, Paul. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were uh, Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there.
0: So we see this is a Hebrew, a Jewish couple, Limelech and Naomi. They face a deadly drought. Their goats and herds are going to, uh, are going to die. And then they left their homeland of Judah with its drought and went across the Jordan River to an area which is now uh, Jordan, or you may call it Palestine, and there they found what was then called Moab land which had, did not have a drought, and had the food for their
1: flocks so they could live. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. When they had lived there for about 10 years, both Malon and Chileon also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons or her husband.
0: Oh, this wonderful four-person family, Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, had such prospects for a happy family life in this foreign country and they had a thriving business ranching. You heard what we just read. Dad died. And then the two sons, took the wife, which had wives from the local population, they both died. Most likely they were killed in a war into which they had been conscripted. Now we have three widows, which by local tradition in both Moab and Judah meant none of them had virtually any chance to make a living since they had been widowed. They were doomed to be impoverished for the rest of their time on earth. This wasn't supposed to happen.
1: Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab. For she had heard that the Lord had had consideration for his people in Judah and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law. And they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. You see, Naomi recognized that to live, she had to go
0: back to her home country of Judah. That was not the home country of either of the daughters-in-law. So she wanted to help save them and gave them permission to stay in their own country where they could try against the odds to find husbands and make a go of life, even though they were brokenhearted. It was such a better option than them going with her to her home country. She was being so kind.
1: It was then that Ruth said the resounding phrase, Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Ruth
0: had made two crucial decisions about her life. Did you hear them?
1: Sam. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. You see, first, Ruth committed
0: to love Naomi, who already loved her beyond words.
1: And second, your God shall be my God.
0: So Ruth also committed to love the God of Naomi and of the other Hebrews, our God and our Father, even while she had been up um, until this moment a Moabite and not a Hebrew. So Sam, you've done Ruth proud this morning. Before you leave the lectern, can you give us a prayer
1: over this scripture? Sure thing. Let us pray. Dear Lord, Thank you for making our hearts and minds open to your scripture. May you lead us through our lives like you did Ruth, and help us to choose what is right over what might be practical, what is loving, and what might not be comfortable. Help us to see you in our neighbors, and in our family, and in our friends so that we may may hold them tight as well as you as we go forward. Amen. Amen.
0: We have two wonderful ministry fellows this summer. Sam and Ruth Ann have been really helpful, and they, they continue throughout the summer to help lead worship. Now, in this scripture passage of Ruth, we find that God is speaking through this passage really to each of us. And we become Ruth, don't we? God seems to be saying, listen, listen, listen. When you are in trouble, when things have happened that weren't supposed to happen, cling to the Lord and cling to the person you most trust, who most loves you. Your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. And were you reminded in hearing that passage of the scripture that had just been read by Ruth Ann a few minutes earlier. She read from the New Testament Gospel of Matthew about Jesus. Jesus was challenged by a Pharisee, part of a group which shortly had him nailed to a cross, and was asked, what is the great commandment to which our Lord responded, love God and love neighbor? And those words echo, you see, the words of Ruth. Your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. Boy, if God is saying anything to us today, it surely is this. There is good news. I am with you. And your role is to love God. Let God love you. Be open to this attempt God is making to pour love, support, care, strength, into your heart. And God is saying, love your neighbor. Love somebody who loves you deeply. These are pearls of wisdom, a two-part pearl of wisdom. Love God and love neighbor. Not just when things are going great on a beautiful Sunday morning in July in Los Gatos. Maybe they're great, maybe they're not. Love God, love neighbor when You are in the valley of the shadow. Well, I want to share an image with you this morning that um, uh, is of a person. Let's say it's uh, let's just say it's you, okay? And this person has hands outstretched. I my image is for you to imagine yourself taking hold of God with one of those hands and taking hold of the whoever loves you the most, neighbor, with the other hand. So there you are in all of your turmoil, trouble, and uh, predicament, and you are being held, look, by the love of God in Christ, eternal, and by the love of someone God has sent into your life, love temporal. You are not alone what good news this is. And this is actually an exercise you can do in the pew. I know, you're not gonna put your hands over your head, you're Presbyterians, however, <laughs> however, right in your lap, you can, you can close your fists. Like with one hand, you're holding God. With the other hand, you're holding the neighbor, holding the one that loves you. And as you do that, remember, you could do this morning and night. You could do this driving the car. You could do this all kinds of places and times Remembering you are not alone. You are holding on to God. He is with you in the midst of your stuff. And you are holding on to the person who loves you most. They are a conduit of grace who God has sent. It's a spiritual exercise, not just for your hands, your body, but for your hands and mind, your body and mind. Not just for your body and mind, but for your body and your mind, and here's the whole point of it all, your spirit, your soul. Let's look at these two just for a moment together. The first, of course, is loving God. Ruth said it out of her homeland without her husband to Orpa, to uh, Naomi, your God will be my God. And so that's the first hand when you're in trouble, taking hold of God's hand. Now, you might say, I can't really imagine or feel God. But I say to you, Jesus is God. He is God with us. He is the one who held out his hands and said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am meek and lowly of heart. Jesus has got his hand out. He's searching for you to hold on to his hand. Maybe, Maybe this point would come home even better. Um, if, you, if we listened for a moment to words of, okay, I'm going to do Elvis Presley. He actually got his beginnings in churches like this. Did you know that? And I don't know if you're allowed to quote Elvis Presley from this pulpit, but you better not tell my son David. All right. Let's give it a shot. Here goes. Put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the water. Put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the sea. Take a look at yourself and you can look at others differently. Put your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. Oh yeah. All right. Holding hands with God, by which I mean Jesus, and you know, he's the only, the only, the only one natural child of God, right? All of us are children of God by adoption. We're all in the same family. He's natural born. We are adopted into God's family. So holding, holding hands with God, the God who loves you and seeks to draw you close, is to be close is, as a parent loves to have their child draw close. God loves to have you draw close. God loves to hear from you. Second, when sometimes when you are close to God, even to Jesus, you just don't feel like being close all the time. Has that ever happened to you? You get tired out. You know, I mean, you're a little over it. It's the eighth inning of the game. It's not the same as the first inning. You're not as interested. It's happened to me. Sometimes, in fact, When we hold God's hand, we not only get tired of holding, but we might decide we don't want to hold anymore. We might decide that God really can't help me, or we somehow think God is my enemy, or we just want nothing to do with God. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. Now here's the gem and the pearl. When we let go of God, God doesn't let go of us. There it is. When we let go of God's hand, God won't let go of our hand praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. He keeps right on holding, for underneath are the everlasting arms. This is the God of all times we're talking about. This is the God who came to earth in Jesus Christ. This is the God who personally knows you better than you know yourself. Oh man, last week I saw a t-shirt with a quote on it, and uh, you know, the devil saw me with my head down and thought he'd won, until I said, Amen. Prayer. There's an effective way to be close to God, to hold God tight. St. Augustine knew this back in the 4th century when he wrote a famous prayer you may have heard before. See this? Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless. Restless until they find their rest in thee. Now, I know that's Elizabethan English, but I want us to say it again as it is on the screen, only we're gonna, I'm going to say it out loud together in unison. You ready for this? Here we go. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Isn't that beautiful? You see, the saint is saying God in Christ is not just the good shepherd, He is your good shepherd. What a difference that makes. God is aware when even a hair falls from your head. God loves hearing from you. He calls those times prayer about big things or little things, simple things or complex things. Prayers can be in high church language or they can be quite conversational and informal. Frankly, most of my prayers begin, I'll give you a window into my little life, my spiritual life, my prayers typically begin, hi God, it's Paul, as if he didn't know. And then right on that, I usually crash straight into some major theme, which more often than not is, I need help, or I'm in trouble. You can be as familiar with God as you like, you see, no matter what kind of words come to your mind. Every day and every night, not just when the breeze is at your back and the sun is shining bright, but also when you are shouting to the highest heavens, this wasn't supposed to happen. Love God, which means let God love you. Hold tight. Hold him close. It's the first and great command. But there is the second command also. Like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, God has twin gifts for us. Here they come. Abundant life on earth, eternal life in the kingdom. That's why we hold close with God. God has gifts for us that are abundant life and eternal life. And guess what? We can do something with those gifts, which we're just about to get to. Not only love God, but love neighbor. Now, there have been many, many wonderful sermons preached on this scripture asking, who is my neighbor? Clearly, Jesus sought out the hungry, the incarcerated, the lonely, the handicapped, the outcasts, the victims of war, the dying. But as I listen to you and as I examine myself, I find that sometimes when life just crashes in with what wasn't supposed to happen, it can be hard, as in very hard, to care toward those sick and handicapped and outcasts as a first and foremost matter. This is the part of of what the Lord is saying about loving neighbor. To get to that point, that's that's an important point, but to get there, Maybe we need to consider, start with, the one person on earth who most loves you. The one person on earth, you figure it out and think it through, who most loves you. Ask yourself if maybe that is the neighbor you are first called to love. That introduces you to a healthy relationship of love and trust and hope, which can then expand greatly. But we need to find a starting point. And this morning... I'm not trying to give up on all those who are distant or unlovable or odd. But today, I think the Bible is challenging us. When the chips are down, whatever else, start with the one who loves you the most. Who would that be for you? Would it be your spouse? Bless you, you're so fortunate if that's true. Would it be your mother or a family member? Would it be a child of yours? Would it be a neighbor? Huh. Would it be a long, lifetime friend, a longtime friend? Who would be the one person of everybody that you could love? Because I believe God has chosen one person for each of us, and when we hold them with that other hand, of, that spiritual hand, God uses that person to bring us love, to bring us hope, to bring us clarity, and patience, and gratitude, and all that, that God has to give to His people. Who would that be for you? Now for me, I have to confess, it is without question, it's not even a, uh, a close call, uh, my wife of 51 years, Jeannie, absolutely. Now is she a saint or an angel? Uh, at this point she told me she threatened she was going to shout out, yes. But. So it'd be, it'd be Jeannie. But you see, it doesn't matter whether she's a saint or an angel or not, because imperfect as she may be, she loves me. Huh. And now here's the flip side. As I look to her and I discover, hmm, maybe I'm imperfect. That's a strange thought, but don't, don't dwell on it. Maybe I'm imperfect. I mean, if you really knew me, would you love me? No, heck no. Um, But there's one thing I can do. Even in my imperfection, I can try with the best I am able to love that one person. It's not going to be perfect love, but it is love. Love your neighbor as yourself, said Jesus. Who is that one person? I'm going to focus in just for a moment more on If your one person is a family member or a spouse, I think family love is the hardest thing on earth, maybe in the whole universe. In fact, I think love can be a laboratory that God gives us for trying this wild experiment of loving uh, unconditionally. Maybe God gives us the family as a place to try this thing called grace, to accept another who is not perfect, and to decide that we are going to do a partnership in life as opposed to standing back and waiting till the other person stands up and flies straight and gets right with things. You see... Family, isn't it? I mean, the home's a hard place for real, real love to go on in any extensive length of time. Those, you know what? Those people at home, they know your dark side, and they don't forget it, do they? <laughs> and you know theirs. But I think, I think the best day in a marriage, let's take a marriage, is not the wedding day. This is not what you necessarily tell people in a sermon on, at a wedding I don't think marriage is uh, the best day is a wedding day. The best day for a marriage is the day when each person wakes up, looks at the other, and says to themselves some version of this Huh, he or she really is not perfect. And neither am I. I'm probably not as much of a catch as I might have thought I was. So now, Now the real real adventure of life begins. The adventure of life being, how can two imperfect people love each other? That's why God came in Christ, to be reconciling to us. So two imperfect people can love each other. They can understand not just all the foibles and all the problems and issues, but they can see the heart. And they can decide, that is what I want to have shape me. You see, unconditionally, unconditionally, God loves you and me, fools that we are. You and I don't love because we're such paragons of virtue, but because God first loved us. And so we, re- we respond by giving love to both God and to that other person, even when the other is not acting as we would choose for them to act. We love because God first loved us in giving us his son, Jesus. What a gift! We didn't deserve it at all. We, deserve, we didn't even deserve you know, the, the lowest person in the kingdom, wherever that might be. We, you know, he, we, you know, he sent his son Jesus to us, and so then we begin to perceive God-shaped love. After all, forgiveness means nothing, until, nothing, until there is something to forgive. Aha! You can say you are a forgiving person, but that doesn't mean too much until you find there is something you really, that really is tough to forgive. It's not just who cares. Then we're getting down to it. We're getting to what it means to hold God with one hand and hold the other person with the other and keep that going, keep that tension alive. So hear this from the Bible today. It's the word of the Lord for us. God does not want you to be a victim of whatever happened to you that wasn't supposed to happen. Your life isn't over and is not meant to simply dribble out to the end because you have been devastated. God loves you more than you love God. Hold on to God, let God love you. God has sent another person into your life to show you a pathway of grace. Listen, learn, love, and follow. For love is stronger than hate. God is stronger than the devil. And that, my friends, was supposed to happen. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we thank you that you love us in our imperfect state. We thank you that you send someone else to be a conduit of your love, not perfect, but a conduit of grace, forgiveness, hope, understanding, acceptance. Help us to love that person and to love you until the day when we are loving all the outcasts, all of the people who are in trouble or suffering or wounded or dying or mourning. Bless and keep us that day that we enter the kingdom fully because we hold on to you and you hold on to us in Jesus name Amen